All right, good morning. Good morning. Everyone's doing well today. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We'll continue our study in this book. And I will go ahead and read the whole chapter again, and then uh, we can pick up where we left off last week. So starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the, uh, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So quickly, anything jump out to you as we read that that time? Stick out to your questions you have on that chapter, before we move on. Can anybody remind me of what we talked about last week? That anybody that was here, what we talked about. Well, no. we went through that other one that we went through last week. It's talking about God's grace. Mm-hmm. But then in verse 10, Paul fit the whole gospel into one verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really summarizes the gospel there, um, that, that Christ, or that the gospel is manifested through Jesus Christ to abolish death, and that, of course, talking about spiritual death, not physical death, um, that we're all appointed to die once, but um, through Christ Jesus, uh, we can have eternal life. Uh, anybody else remember what we talked about? Predestination. Yeah, we talked about uh, predestination. It talks there about the grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which is talking about the predestining work of God that happened before the ages uh, began. And we talked about what predestination is not, what, but what is commonly believed, where God looks down the corridors of time and sees who would believe in him and then predestines those people. That's what a lot of people think predestin- or their definition for what predestination is. That's not how it is. There's a couple of issues with that. But that would mean that God is looking down and seeing something good in us and then making his decision based upon that. And then also it would mean that God is learning things, which we know God does not learn anything. Um, he knows all things and he ordains all things. So we talked about predestination. 
Um, and uh, so we'll go ahead and pick up in verse 11 then this week. So it got, or Paul says, after summarizing the gospel, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this verse because we've already kind of talked about this in earlier lessons about Paul's calling to be a preacher and an apostle and teacher. Um, but he says that the reason this that he has been called to do this is because of the gospel. And this is in accord with uh, what we talked about in verse 1, where Paul says, an Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And I said that you could really just say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, because of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, is really what he's communicating there. And the promise of life is the gospel that he's talking about. So he's saying, this is the reason I've been called to do what I am doing. It is for the sake of the gospel. And then he says uh, a similar thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. So again, talking about the gospel there and saying this is the reason he has become a preacher and apostle. Now it is interesting that... Um, in the, does anybody have a King James Version by chance? Nobody using that, or the New King James Version? They, it includes on there that he was a teacher of the Gentiles, which it also says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, so, but I didn't find this in any other versions, but the King James includes that he was a teacher of the Gentiles, so Paul's specifically stating that. Uh, and he, of course, was a teacher of the Jews as well, uh, but in many ways, God... Uh, appointed Paul so that he could be a teacher of the Gentiles. Um, and if you'll remember, and we're kind of talking about this in Wednesday Night Bible Study, well, this was kind of the big controversy back in the day, um, that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well. It wasn't just for the Jews. The Jews kind of believed this was, the promise of life was really just for the descendants of Abraham. It wasn't for the Gentiles and didn't weren't concerned with trying to reach them or convert them. And so Paul, in order to not call into question the salvation of the Gentiles is making sure to state that he is appointed to teach them as well. So there's a couple of things there. Any comments or questions on that verse before we keep going about Paul being called to be a teacher, preacher, and apostle? Okay. So then we get on to um, verse 12. And he says, For this reason, which is why I suffer as I do. And again, we've talked about this as well. We talked about the reason or that the gospel brings forth suffering and that we can expect suffering, we can expect persecution. Um, talked about how Paul suffered and the different persecution um, that he has endured. Of course, he's imprisoned right now as he's writing this letter to Timothy in Rome. And we talked about how, he, or how he's warned Timothy to expect suffering as well. And this just reiterates that Paul was imprisoned on account of the gospel and this is why he was suffering, because he was so faithfully and boldly proclaiming the truth about God. So, um, we'll kind of uh, skip past that a little bit, since we've already discussed those things. Then we get to this next section here in verse 12, which is, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul is saying that, I am not ashamed of, of being in prison. I am not ashamed of suffering the way I do. And though others may fall away, though others may defect and abandon the faith, uh, I know the one who I have believed in. And he knows that um, 
this one that he is believing is, and now this could be referring to God the Father, it could be referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, I personally kind of think it's referring to just generally applying it to both of them, um, that he knows the, the one that he has put his faith in and the reason why he is suffering the way he is. And so this is a tremendous reminder of the eternal security that we have in the Lord. And I assume many of you have heard of, of this doctrine. So we're now going to, last week we talked about predestination. Now we're going to talk about uh, the eternal security that we have in God. And this is a doctrine that is found, uh, you know, really all over the pages of Scripture. And you may have heard it referred to as eternal security or assurance of salvation or once saved, always saved, preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints, or maybe should be called preservation of the saints or perseverance of the Savior. In my opinion, I think communicates it a little bit better. But um, this is the doctrine that teaches that you cannot lose your salvation. So I'm going to give you a number of verses here that I believe speak to this. Um, but can any of you guys think of any verses off the top of your head um, that speak to this particular doctrine? Go ahead. One just pops in my head is, um, for nothing shall fly me from his hand. Yeah, and it says that a, a couple times. I have one of those verses on here to go over as well. Anybody else? Have one? You are kept by the power of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that certainly says it. Go ahead. Jesus says, I give you an eternal life, and they shall never perish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That means that as well. Anybody else? Yeah, there's, there's, there's several verses um, that you could use to go over this truth, and I'll, I'll go over a number here. And so in John 6, 37 through 39, this is Jesus talking. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he, get, he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus right there says that everyone, this is talking again what we talked about last week, predestination, the God, that God elects some to salvation and then gives them to the Son, and the Son, Jesus, has promised that he will lose none of them. And so if you can have your salvation and then lose your salvation, then that would mean that Jesus has lost you, and that he lied when he said this, which obviously is not the, the case. And then John 10, 27, 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So again, what, what uh, Chris brought up there, that no one is you are secure in the hand of God, and no one is going to be able to pull you uh, out of that hand. And he says that you will never perish, so... You had, if you had salvation at one time and then lost your salvation, then you perished. And so that wouldn't be true here. And then John 3.16, which a couple of you might know that verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I've heard, uh, I think it was Steve Lawson maybe, that said something on eternal life, uh, that if you could lose your salvation, you, you weren't granted eternal life. You were given two-year life, or ten-year life, or fifty-year life, or however long you're a Christian, but you weren't given eternal life. Um, and so if God has given you eternal life, that means that you have eternal life, and that you will uh, live forever with him into eternity. And then Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which I think is an underrated verse. I think this should be um, up there with the John three sixteens. where it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there's a couple of those words there that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
meaning that you're in airtight uh, protection there, that nothing is going to get in there to deceive you and to lead you away from the Lord. The Spirit has sealed you. And then he guarantees our inheritance. Uh, and what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and uh, to go to heaven. That, that is what our inheritance is in Christ, and he guarantees it. He doesn't just make it pretty sure. Uh, he guarantees that you will uh, enjoy this inheritance. So the Holy Spirit, as well as God the Father and God the Son, are all working in this way to preserve you. And then Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you can lose your salvation, then you could never at any time know for certain that you have eternal life, because it could, in a couple of years you, you might not be following God anymore. But John writes that you can know that you have eternal life. And then in Romans 8.29-39, it's a longer section, so go ahead and turn with me there if you would. I would say that if I was ever to be thrown in prison and have the Bible taken away from me, but to be given one chapter to have, they say you can have one chapter, you can have the whole Bible, I think I might pick Romans 8. Maybe Ephesians 1 is good too, but Romans 8 is, is a pretty glorious chapter. So go ahead and turn with me there. And we'll start in verse 29. I'll have you guys kind of show me what you see here that speaks to what we're talking about. So verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that really you know, puts the nail in the coffin there and uh, drives it home, drives the point home there. But what, what do you guys see uh, there that points to this fact that we are secure in Christ? There's several different options that you can choose from. But anybody see anything? Go ahead. 29 and 30, um, the same group that's you know, predestined, it's the same group who's justified, it's the same group who's mm -hmm. justified. So mm -hmm. if at any point you were justified, you'll eventually be glorified. Yeah, yeah. That's what's sometimes referred to as like the golden chain of redemption here. It says that those who are justified are going to be glorified. So if you believe you can be saved at one point and would say that you're justified at that point and then fall away from it, and then ultimately not come back to salvation, then you're not going to be glorified, which would be in contradiction to what it's saying here, that every single person who has ever been justified is going to be glorified. It also goes on to what we talked about last week, that he, those who have been predestined and called 
as well. So those who God began with in eternity past are those who he brings to completion in eternity future. Um, nobody falls away, and he does not add any to that number that he has predestined. Uh, anybody else have anything? Go ahead, Ben. Just a question. Uh, this morning, I was reading something. Uh, eternity. When mm -hmm. it says, literally, eternity says, I never knew you. And then they say, oh, didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the eternal security of the believer. Is it possible for us to have a false assurance? You know, for years, mm -hmm. where we fool ourselves and then think we are in, no, we are not. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, someday we meet Christ and he says, I never knew you. Yeah. I think we usually look at false teachers. But for normal, ordinary Christians, can you give some different examples? How does the Christian life look like? And then how does false assurance also look like? Yeah, I think that's, that certainly can be the case where you think that you are saved and are not. And we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago about the evidence of true, sincere faith uh, of salvation and the things that you can look for. And I think, you know, you look that for one, who is your faith in? You know, is it in Christ Jesus? And if your faith's in Christ Jesus, then there are things that will follow because of that. And that is, you know, a conviction of sin, uh, a desire to repent of sin, um, a desire to be obedient to God. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I had on there. Um, but there are many ways that you can examine your own life to find out whether or not you are sincere. And uh, I think that certainly there it should be a warning that, you know, when you teach this doctrine, and I kind of have this up to go over, um, that, you know, it's possible to have that false assurance, to think that you are saved and you are eternally secure, and then you'll get to heaven one day and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, uh, but there are certain things, I think, that you can look to to see that you truly do have that faith, um, and what is in accord with the scriptures. And then when you see that, you can realize that in the purposes of God that you are secure. I mean, because he promises that over and over again. So I don't know if that answers your question or if you have anything to add on that. Uh, on that particular passage, I find it helpful to notice that those folks that he never knew aren't trusting Jesus. Like, like they're not putting their confidence in Jesus, they're putting their confidence in their works. Mm -hmm, so they're true. saying, like, you know, God, shouldn't you let me into heaven because I've done this and I've done that and I've performed miracles? Uh, you know, it's not like they're standing there saying, like, oh, I thought Jesus died and rose. You know, their hope was never in Jesus all along. So mm -hmm. and that's one of the more important things. Like, what are you actually placing your confidence in? Is mm -hmm. it in yourself, something that you do? And, you know, they, they've gathered that, you know, th this isn't just for, like, apostate churches out there. I mean, even people in our type of Bible-believing evangelical churches, you've got people who think they're going to heaven because they sang in the choir and worked in the nursery and gave any offering. Um, so, you know, that's really one of the more important determiners. You know, are you deceived? You know, what are you putting your confidence in? Something that you've done or are doing, or is it Jesus? Um, because I, I know that passage in Matthew 7 gets a lot of people freaked out, uh, but I think that's helpful to notice that they're putting confidence in the flesh, not in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good point there, because they're presenting their works to him and saying, you know, why wouldn't you save me on this on account of these things? Um, that's not how anybody saves. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. 
kind of question like, well, were you saved if you're not convicted mm -hmm. now that you're not walking yeah. the way you should be, right? So yeah. I also sort of have had these reflections like anytime somebody's questioning like, oh man, like, is that going to be me? Like, am I going to get there and be like shocked that I'm not actually going to mm -hmm. be, you know, in glory? And then it's like, if you're having that concern, that's probably a good indication that you're on the right track. Yeah. Like, keep exploring that. Um, mm -hmm. But often, that sort of like godly fear is like a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an evidence I think of you truly being born again. And yeah, I think I think it's Romans six that we talked, and we we went over that in terms of uh, I forget, oh, being saved by grace and not by works. And the common objection is that well, now I just have a license to sin and I can just do whatever I want, which we know, like Paul says, by no means you've died to sin and you are now a, you're now no longer a slave of sin but a slave of, of righteousness and we're kind of going to go over that again because similar to workspace religion or whatever the chart or the objection here um that you're eternally secure means that well you know i got saved at this point now i can just live however i want to live which is not what the bible teaches about this doctrine of eternal security so and we're going to talk about that a little bit too as well anybody else see anything here in this section of romans end of romans 8 here that speaks to us being secure. I think it's interesting that in verse 29, for, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those that he predestined, he foreknew everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone's made in his image. Everyone, preborn, are made in his image. But then he knew those that were to be predestined, and he conforms us to mm -hmm. be in. It's a glorious thought that we're to be in the image of His Son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's every single one who is predestined is going to be conformed. So again, if you if you have been given this grace, um, you're not going to go on living. I mean, you'll still sin, you'll still fall short, of course, um, but you're not going to be able to just go on rebelling against God and and be okay with it because the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be present in your life, conforming you to the image of His Son. So that's a good point. Anybody else have anything? You guys have? So oh, go ahead, Caddy. Right. Yeah. Who could possibly bring a charge against you um, that's going to overturn, overrule God if He is on your side? Did you guys have one? Regarding the question that I asked, in one household verses, Romans 8 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit. So we believe that salvation is a supernatural work of grace, and the spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. You will know mm -hmm. that you are on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good point. Was there any other one? David, did you have something else there? Uh, the moment passed, but it was. I was just going to add on to uh, what Pastor Tim was saying about Matthew 7 21 to 23, where um, I think there is a reliance on words, but um, there's also he says the part of the worker of iniquity, the virgin would say. So there's also, I think, a sign of unrepentance where, where there's almost you know, like James 2 and living faith, dead faith, it's almost as if there's the dead faith. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, repentance is something that is an evidence as well. 
of your true saving faith. Um, again, what you're not you're not going to be able to if you have been called by God, saved by God, to just go live however you want to live um, and, and sin in all sorts of ways without feeling a conviction and a guilt uh, that draws you back to repentance. So, anything else for keep going here? It's kind of going to hit a couple of these. Things too. We kind of already talked about verse verse twenty nine and thirty, the golden chain of redemption. That you know, those who God began with is those who God uh, brings to completion in eternity future. And then Paul's whole argument here is that kind of what Kathy was bringing up there that if God is for us, if He is on our side, then what could possibly or what could you possibly conceive of that would be able to separate us from Him? Nobody is going to be able to bring a charge to God and say, "Well, did you know that He did this, or did you know that He sinned in this way?" And God say, oh, well, you know, I didn't know that, and now I'm not going to save him anymore. No, God knows all of these things when he set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world, and this all just follows along with what we've talked about already. Um, and he goes on to list all these things, which was just really Paul's extensive way of saying that anything you can think of will not be able to separate you from God. He really could have just said that, but by extending it on to this list, it, um, it kind of drives the point home even further. Um, and he says um, in that second list there in verse 39, he, he says that even no created thing will be able to separate you. And sometimes I hear that people will say, well, I don't think anybody else can take my faith away from me, or you know, even the devil can't take away my faith from me, but I can lose my faith myself. I can, you know, I can abandon the faith myself. But last time I checked, you were a created thing. And he says that no created thing will be able to separate you from the law of God. So not even yourself can Remove yourself from the hand of God. Um, and then also he says, he sent Christ to die for your sins. In verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So why would he have Christ suffer in this way um, and then not give you that which Christ has earned on your behalf? Uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have Christ suffer for your sins in vain. Uh, which is what it's saying here. He's not going to send his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins um, and then not apply that forgiveness of sins to you. So uh, these are just a couple of many verses on this doctrine. Uh, we, could, we could really have a slumber party here tonight and just talk about all of the verses that speak to this. Um, but we won't do that unless anybody wants to. I don't know. But anybody else have anything to add on any of these verses we've talked about, Romans 8? Go ahead. Yeah, I'd just say, uh, I know that this can seem like, a, like an academic debate, but like I've discovered in counseling, it's incredibly practical. You know, if you're going through something like depression, to be confident that you know, you're not going to be cast out of God's family, that can make all the difference. I've counseled people that you know, thought they could lose their salvation. It's just like torments them mm -hmm. continually. Like, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I, I yeah. You know, so, I, again, I realize this feels like one of those it can feel like one of those like heady debates where we just like win by virtue of you know I can point to more verses than the other side can, uh, but actually the practical ramifications, especially when you're going through suffering, are enormous. Mm -hmm. So I'd really encourage you to like you know, nail this down, have have some verses, you know, maybe memorize some scriptures on this, because there will probably come a time in your life where you know if you're not so sure, it, it can be devastating to, to start doubting. You know, maybe I lost my salvation or something. Yeah. Like that. So, so make sure you got this nailed down. Yeah, I think there are a lot of practical implications and, and really the peace that we have with God. And I kind of have a, a couple of those things to talk about as well as to, to why it's important to understand this doctrine. Um, and I had here kind of what, you know, Bennett was bringing up and we've, we've discussed here. Someone will say, well, I, 
I know such and such who prayed the prayer at a young age and walked the aisle at a young age and was you know, really dedicated to God, and now they just have nothing to do with him. Or maybe I knew a pastor who preached the Bible for decades, and now he's an atheist. So what would you say about those people? Well, I would say that those people never truly had that saving faith to begin with, even though it looked like they did, and to our eyes it seemed as though they were faithful Christians. By the fact that they are not believers now, it shows that they never truly were believers. And again, that's just what we get from Scripture. So I would say what John says in 1 John 2.19, talking of false believers, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So again, that if they have gone out from us, if they are no longer uh, claiming to believe in God, uh, then that proves that they never truly believed in God in the first place. Um, because a true believer will persevere in their walk with the Lord. Because it's not a matter of you holding on to God, it's a matter of God holding on to you. And I think that's a huge difference uh, when you get that, when you understand that, and really can bring that peace that you're talking about um, to you, and understanding it's not a matter of, of me being able to continually please God and be faithful. You know, I strive for that. Um, but that's not what is determining my salvation. It is the one who is holding me. It is the Savior, which is kind of why I said perseverance of the Savior rather than perseverance of the saints. Uh, we understand that he's the one who is going to help us persevere, not because of anything uh, that is in us. And again, this goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week. We talked about predestination. And if God gave us this grace before the ages began, and not because we earned it or because of anything good that he foresaw in us, then we can't do anything bad enough to remove that grace from us. Um, he already gave us this grace when we were wicked sinners, and he knew all the sins that we would ever commit. That's what Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is not going to change his mind on these things. It's not as though salvation is some sort of a card we are given, where you can, you know, the card can be given to you and taken away from you at any time, and if you die with the salvation card, you go to heaven, and if you die without it, you go to hell. That's not the way salvation works. It's not as though God is surprised, again, that he you know, gives us this salvation and then sees some sin we've committed. He says, whoa, you know, I didn't expect that. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to take your salvation from you. You can come and get it back anytime you want. You know, you rededicate your life and commit your life again. You can have your salvation back. But if, if you're going to act like that, I'm, I'm going to take your salvation away from you. That's basically, if you, if you think it through, if you're going to say you can lose your salvation, is what God's doing. He's just up there just kind of watching over you. And then seeing how you're acting, and if you're if you're not acting the way he wants you to, he's going to take your salvation from you. Um, but if you if you do the right things, he gives it back to you. Uh, is, is essentially what you're saying. If you can lose your salvation and gain your salvation uh, over and over again, and it's really to think to think you can lose your salvation is to think your salvation again is kind of dependent upon works. Even if you wouldn't maybe say that or admit to that, what you're saying is you know is, is God pleased with the way I'm. Um, living my life. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned with the way you live your life or that you should be try to be obedient to God, but that is not the determining factor as to whether or not you have salvation or not. So that makes sense. Go ahead, Kevin. It's also you know, think about the idea of like, the nature of salvation. Salvation is a supernatural work. Mm -hmm. So can we somehow undo a supernatural work? I mean, has anybody Mm -hmm. Made a mountain disappear. I mean, like, <laughs> like it's supernatural. Yeah, you know. So it either happened, 
Yeah. And there's evidence of that supernatural work where it did. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and it, and your salvation was accomplished at the cross too. At, you know, at a time in history. Uh, was when all of our salvation was accomplished there. And so we're not going to be able to undo that, which God has already done. So go ahead. Thank you back on that. I mean, it's lots of, I think the language of being born again is helpful. I mean, you can't put the Nicodemus question of Jesus can mm -hmm. really be unborn. You know, Jesus talking about being born again. I mean, obviously Nicodemus didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying at that point, but the answer is no. You can't really be unborn. You can't go back into your mother's womb. So mm -hmm. this is an analogy for our salvation. You can't really. Mm -hmm. I do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. Go ahead. That's why I love the whole picture of adoption because mm -hmm. when you're adopted into a family, you belong in that family. Now. Yeah. It's a different life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. Go ahead, Kathy. With a family, you mess up or sin, you know, you're disciplined. So yes, um, there is some consequences for sin that are more from a loving father disciplining you. Yeah, he's not tossing you out of the family. He's just trying to correct you so that you, you know, behave the way you're supposed to behave. Um, so, um, so I think there are, there are many reasons why Christians reject uh, this doctrine. I think the main reason is kind of well-intended, and we talked about this with uh, workspace salvation and stuff again, and we've already kind of talked about this now, but they think that if you believe in once saved, always saved, and that means once you get saved, you can go live like the devil, uh, and it doesn't matter because you're, you're eternally secure. And of course, this is not what we mean when we are talking about eternal security. And this goes back to previous lessons. Uh, but anyone who is saved is given a new heart and a new nature that desires to please God and would not be able to bear the guilt and shame of constantly living in rebellion to him. Uh, it wouldn't, it, if God has given you this new heart and kind of what we brought out there, that he's conforming you to the images, image of his son, um, you're not going to be able to just go do what you want or maybe you will do what you want, but what you want to do is is honor God for the most part, um, and, and and not repent of these sins that you're continually committing. Actually, I'm not ready to move on yet. Um, <clears throat> so it's clear from the scriptures that we are secure in the hand of God, and we will persevere until the end, and not because of our own faithfulness, uh, but because of the faithfulness of God. So we kind of talked about this a little bit too, but why is this doctrine so important to get right? You guys think of reasons why it's important to understand this um, and believe this? And we already kind of talked about one that, that brings you peace. Anything else that you guys can think of? Yeah, so, go ahead. The idea that, you know, they migrate through faith, a lot of ourselves, a lot of work, so that we can't post. Some of that in there, too. We're not boasting before God that we preserve ourselves anymore than we're boasting to God that we. Safe because of our works in the first place. He gets the glory for the pres preservation of us yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It's not again, like I've said a couple of times here. It's not you who's the one um, being fa so faithfully persevering. It's God who's so faithfully preserving you. Any anybody else? Go ahead. Well, I think it also just honors God when we, we believe His promises. Mm -hmm. We don't doubt that He's going to keep His promise. Yeah, and when we understand. What he's promised us, and we believe that. And I have it uh, kind of go over as well. Anybody else have anything? Go ahead. I guess it's one thing to struggle with the sure of salvation as a Christian, but if you fully believe that your works are involved in your salvation, then you may be believing a false gospel, which yeah. that's life and death right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why it would be so important to have it 
Yeah, I guess I think, I mean, it kind of, like I said, if, if you believe that you can constantly gain your salvation, lose your salvation, you're really making it dependent upon your works and, and your faithfulness. Um, but when we understand that God is, is keeping us the, the whole way, we know it's, it's entirely by His grace. So I have a couple uh, things to, to highlight here that I think are reasons why it is important. Um, and the first one is, is peace. Uh, that Pastor Tim kind of brought up there is that it allows you to have peace with God and peace in life. Uh, knowing that you have salvation is, is really all that you need to be able to remind yourself of. Whenever you're going through a difficult time or a hardship or something that's you know not going the way you wanted it to, um, if you know that at the end of it all, you will be able to be with the Lord in paradise for the rest of eternity, you can have peace through whatever trial is coming your way. If you're in prison, if you're being tortured, uh, whatever it might be, if you're suffering a loss of your job, you're suffering disease, I mean, it doesn't have to pertain to the faith. It's just anything that goes it goes on with you in life that is difficult to endure, you can remind yourself, well, you know what, I have salvation. I have to remind myself of that a lot, and sometimes I forget to. Um, but, you know, if I start to grumble or complain or wish that things were differently, you know, I can just kind of say, knock it off. <laughs> you know, you, you have salvation. You have the greatest gift that anybody has ever been given and anybody will ever be given. And so you have no reason to complain or to grumble or to feel sorry for yourself in this situation um, because you have salvation. So it's something that you can remind yourself of. But again, if you don't know that you have salvation, you'll go through all these difficult things. And then on top of that, be like, I don't even know if I have salvation. I don't even know if the, at the end of this it gets any better for me. Um, so this is uh, that's one of the reasons why it's very important is to be able to have peace with God and not constantly be worrying and wondering whether or not you're saved. Uh, another uh, reason is productivity. And I've, I've listed a, a list of these things that all start with the same letter. I've decided you can't be a good teacher until you can put a, a list together that is alliterated with the same letter. So I've done that here. So productivity. First one was peace. This one's productivity. It allows you to give the greatest service to God if you know that you are in a saving relationship with him. If, again, you don't know, you know, I don't even know if this is, if I'm serving this God or, or, or not, you know, you're not going to have a desire to continually uh, be in service to him and to do his will and, and obey his commands. It's going to greatly hinder your service to, to him and desire to serve him. And the third one is praise. And I think uh, maybe it was Kathy that brought this up, that this doctrine should really move you to an extraordinary uh, amount of praise that Christ, through his death on the cross, didn't just make your salvation possible, but he actually accomplished your salvation, that you are secure in the hand of God, the Father, and of Jesus Christ, and no one or no thing can pry open those thing, or those hands and pry you out, uh, and that the Holy Spirit has sealed you and guaranteed that you will receive the inheritance given to you by Christ. I mean, this is one of the most glorious doctrines that you can um, find in Scripture, that you can be as sure that you will one day be in heaven as if you have already been there for 10,000 years. Um, and this is what the Scriptures, I think, teach you know, pretty clearly. It's interesting that so many um, you know, Christians reject this doctrine. Again, they think a lot of times it's well-intentioned. They don't want you to you know, go on living however you want to live. But uh, to me, this, the innumerable amounts of verses that are in here um, and how glorious the doctrine is. You know, I understand, like, the doctrine of predestination, like we talked about last week, why there's kind of some pushback against that, because sometimes it offends people that God would be the, the way that they perceive that God is or something. 
but for for this doctrine, I mean, this is one of the greatest things that you could ever believe is that um, you're eternally secure in Christ, and I think it's all over Scripture as well. So um, it's kind of interesting that so many um, disagree with it. Uh, go ahead. Can I comment on that part real quick? Yeah. From my experience, those who reject this don't reject it so much for like biblical or theological reasons, more because they knew Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry yeah. was, you know, professed to be a Christian for a long, long time, but then Uncle Larry totally turned his back on Jesus. And they can't make sense of that, so they come to the conclusion they're Christian. So it's it's not that, you know, they're carefully I mean some Bible teachers are careful wrestling from those Hebrew sisters or something like that, but your mm-hmm. average person that believes you I don't think it's being careful with the Bible verses that we talked about. It's because they knew somebody that professed to be a Christian for a long time and uh, did not mm-hmm. faith. So with that, you know, if you can kind of encourage people to like, okay, let's put our experience, let's not make our experiences the authority. Let's make the Bible the authority and then interpret our experiences through that. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where you got to get to. But um, again, most that, that from my experience, that's what is really encouraging most people to think Christians going to lose their salvation. They had some friend or loved one. Fell away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, if you don't have the Bible teaching you and you see a situation like that where somebody looks to be so faithful and then all of a sudden turns away, your conclusion is going to be okay, they had salvation at one point, um, but now they no longer do. But again, with just everything that it teaches here in Romans 8, like we read, and, and um, all the rest of scriptures, um, it was clear and evident that they didn't actually have that salvation to begin with, um, because if you have it, you're not ever going to fall away from it. Anybody else have any comments or questions on any of this? I'm kind of out of stuff here. I thought maybe it would take a little longer or five minutes <laughs> short. Uh, so somebody somebody make some comments. Go ahead, Kathy. I think it also gives a, a boldness and desire and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Go Just thinking from personal conversations, I think sometimes people object to it too because of, of their experience and, and not just like the Pastor Tim said, but also they like, no, I know that Uncle Larry really did believe what he said. He, like, I think he actually believed like he wasn't manipulating people the whole time. Like, he knew the whole time he was really Christian. He was just kind of you know, playing, playing Christian just to get things out of life. But he actually thought he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. I know you talk about false assurance. I, I think that you know you can actually believe that you're given a new nature. It's not mm-hmm. like people are making ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,ja,
and then like you say, get to heaven one day and, and God say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, but that being said, you know, John says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So clearly it's possible to know that you have eternal life as well. Go ahead, Bennett. I think one other thing to remember the church in the universal has been complicit in leading people on. You know, so you go to church, the gospel is preached, and then they call the altar call. Mm -hmm. And then they play the music in a certain manner, and then the pastor uses certain voices, and then people are coerced to kind of move mm -hmm. forward. The pastor lays his hand on you, and then literally you say after me, and then you go away. And then in most cases, you don't even see the people again. Mm -hmm. and you don't see the signs of conversion yet. Mm -hmm. Say, Lord, the pastor did something and I was saved. I'm saying this because I used to be in children's ministry for a long time in Iwana. And years before, we had to give reports to uh, people who supported the program. Mm -hmm. And we have to give statistics. Oh, we had 10 conversions last month, yeah. 23 months ago, things like that. But even in the club, you could see the children who were really making progress in their faith. And those who never showed up, but mm -hmm. we reported, I mean, wild figures and things like that. So mm -hmm. I think it's, we don't see these practices even in the New Testament church. So, but at the same time, we also we know that some people have walked the island and trusted the Lord. Yeah. So we need to be sticking to the biblical way of preaching and witnessing and mm -hmm. calling people to repentance mm -hmm. so that we don't give people false hopes mm -hmm. when we know the very well that they have not really showed fruits of. And yeah. I think one of the things that we learn from Yeah, we have to teach them to weigh the cost, right, and, and understand what uh, what it means to actually follow the Lord and, again, the things that you're going to see in your life and not that this is just for health, wealth, and prosperity or to you know, give yourself a new start in life or something like that that so many people think. And then when you play the music and get that emotion going and stuff, and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, and then... Couple of weeks later, a year later, it's it's not the same thing anymore. So you kind of have to go over all things. But go ahead. Also heard I was just going to ask, like Patrick, yeah, but it, like in maybe prior to coming here, you know, language like we had this many people dedicate and this many people rededicate their life to Christ. If you ever use the word rededicate your life to Christ, or that, be, I think that kind of language kind of leads itself. People think, yeah, yeah, I can fall away. And then, yeah, I don't. You know, personally, I don't use that language myself. So, um, I mean, I, I kind of, it depends. I kind of get what they mean. And there are, I think there are Christians who want to give some sin. They need. I, I prefer more terms like repent. There's always wisdom in sticking as close to the Bible as possible, even in the terms we use. So instead of like dedicating, you know, repented of this or that, you know, it, it's just wiser. To, you're not going to be wrong sticking close to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, any other final comments or questions? We're at five. We got we got close to ten thirty. Go ahead. Someone just said I'm wasting today. They're more interested in making converts than they are in disciples. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's you know that's something that I think people, especially those of us who grew up in the fifties, that was a big thing. And you know, the altar calls. That was I think that happened in several churches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. Like you say, I mean, it's the music and everything, and you, you know, you might feel guilty mm -hmm. as as a young kid. I, yeah. But if you're not, you know, if you're not in the scripture, you know, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves mm -hmm. and see whether we're in the faith. 
and you know they, they made you know you thought you made you know a conversion or something you wanted to but if you examine yourself and you're not doing that and you're not in the work field and mm-hmm. you're not, you know you're not really following mm-hmm. you were never you were never converted to again yeah yeah you're it was just a, a momentary um feeling of guilt at, at that time and unbelievers can have guilt they can have shame over what they've done but that doesn't mean that they've repented and so it's important to clarify what that really is go ahead Jim. Yeah, I was going to say the doctrine that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think with the doctrine like insurance salvation, I think with all doctrine, I think what's important is that in, in knowing doctrine and learning what, what the Bible teaches, it's about cultivating a love for Christ mm-hmm. and what he's done. I mean, when you read the epistles of Paul, you know, you can really tell that he loved, he, and he was a, a a brilliant teacher mm-hmm. and very knowledgeable of the law. But you can tell he genuinely loved Christ. He had a love for him, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that's what's really important when we're learning doctrine and we're learning what the Bible teaches, that we cultivate our love for Christ mm-hmm. so that no matter how much we may find ourselves in Romans 7 or we're battling sin and, and we're in dark places, that deep down, we can know that we love Christ and mm-hmm. we see what he's done for us. And that's sort of a motivation to keep going and to, you know, and, and it does draw out that repentance, that confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think that's very important. Yeah. That love for Christ. yeah, I think that's really the reason we try to understand any doctrines or anything like that or anything about God is, is to know him better and to have a greater appreciation for him. So if you know that, among all the other things that Christ is doing, he's also keeping you eternally secure. And that's just going to elevate your praise for him. So that's a good point, Benny. You have some. We sing from hymns to illustrate these doctrines. Yeah. And two hymns that come to mind. Blessed assurance, he says it's mine. Oh, what a fourth taste of glory divine. Mm-hmm. And then he says, This is my story. This is my story. And those songs are deep. We have to sing them. Uh, I know whom I believe. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm persuaded, and I need this game. Which is straight from this. Yeah, from this different version than this version. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good hymns. He Will Hold Me Fast is another one I like as well. That's good. All right, let's close up here in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, time of study, Lord. Thank you for your word and the truth that is there, Lord, and that you revealed it to us by your grace. I pray that we would um, continue to study it and uh, read it, Lord, and just absorb it, and we would just um, live our lives in accordance to it, Lord. We thank you uh, that we are eternally secure in your hand and in Christ's hand, and that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Lord and that you will bring us to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Lord. And there are so many verses that speak to this truth, Lord, and this comfort that it gives to us, Lord. We thank you so much for this. And just pray that we would um, continue to grow in our knowledge of you and have a better understanding of you, Lord, so that we can give you the praise that you're worthy of, Lord. I pray now that you'd be with Pastor Tim as he teaches uh, and, and preaches this sermon, Lord, that you would give him wisdom and strength to be able to communicate this clearly to us, Lord, and that we would listen and uh, be encouraged and convicted where needed, Lord, and that ultimately uh, you would receive honor 
uh, the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.